Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Thank you so much, uh, Charles, for uh, doing this interview. Uh, I was so delighted to meet you yesterday in this wonderful church. Uh, you practiced here for a few for a few lovely moments here and uh, played beautifully Bach's pieces and Jigu Toccata too. So, uh, uh, of course, you are a wonderful uh, storyteller and I was, uh, actually, my only regret from yesterday's conversation with you was that I didn't have my recorder on and didn't push the button. So, but I uh, thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation one more, one more time and, uh, and welcome to the show. Okay, thank you. It's lovely to be with you. Great. Uh, uh, Charles, can you introduce a little bit uh, yourself and tell, tell us uh, uh, who you are and what you do? Well, my name's Charles Spanner. I'm uh, an organist and I particularly love taking choirs and also a qualified teacher. I've been in charge of music in five schools in Great Britain and uh, about five years ago I formed a youth choir in Dover because the schools locally are not very good for choirs, they're not noted for choirs. and It's difficult to get choirs together where I live. So I formed a youth choir which has done remarkably well and even only a couple of weeks ago we sang in St. Paul's Cathedral, London, which was a wonderful thrill for all of us, and Bath Abbey. So that was one of my greatest thrills uh, this year. Fantastic. I can imagine uh, to be able to, uh, to sing in such a, such a magnificent cathedral, right? Uh, not every choir can, can have this uh, privilege, luck, right, basically. So I, I guess your choir members are very, very happy, as well as you, right? And your listeners probably, too. Okay. Uh, can, can, can you tell us a little bit uh, what did you sing at that occasion? We sang The Heavens Are Telling by Haydn. We did something called The Rose Responses. Uh, a Magnificat and Nugdimittis by Harwood in A-flat major, and a song. Mm-hmm. And it went very well. And apparently, I heard only yesterday on a text from a friend in Dover, we are front page on the local press. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> of course, uh, um, uh, towns like Dover can be very proud of... of uh, ensembles and uh, groups like that uh, giving concerts uh, in, in important venues, right? Going even abroad sometimes and uh, that's very, very good um, good uh, added value for the city too. For, for the, Dover. For the, for Dover. Yes. Right. So uh, I usually start these interviews with uh, the question that is of course very uh, fascinating for all our listeners, right? Let me ask you uh, for the beginning, uh, uh, Charles, uh, how did you first uh, fall in love with the organ? Do you remember the story? <clears throat> yes, I do. Um, I was brought up in a place called Saltburn by the Sea, which is in North Yorkshire, in Great Britain. Very cold, it's, it's as I say, by the sea with lots of fog and sea frets. But I was lucky enough to become a chorister in a, a lovely church choir there, and there was a three-manual Harrison and Harrison organ, and it wasn't long before I started to tinkle it and play the ivories there, and eventually I started to learn the organ at, at my local church, and it just started from it snowballed, both my singing and playing, 
and uh, that's really how I got into church music. Fantastic. Uh, how old you were? I was about, when I started the organ, I was about 14, 15 years of age, something like so that. So that's, that's very formative year, right, for yes. those, uh, for, for young boys. And usually if you have a good experience uh, with somebody from the um, uh, adult world, uh, pastor, priest maybe, and seasoning, uh, seasoning organist, maybe experienced organist, showing him or her uh, inside of the organ, right, uh, the, uh, letting touch or even play mm. with hands mm. and feet, that might lead to some interesting uh, experience in musical adventures later on, right? So I... Uh, I'm very happy you met someone who invited you to sing and, uh, yes, and you, yes. you saw this Harrison and Harrison organ, right? Uh, so what happened later, right? How did you um, chose that musical path? Well, it progressed really. I, I formed a choir when I was at my... Uh, uh, when I was about 16, I got a choir together and we sang uh, Paris Blessed Pair of Sirens. I conducted it. And I entered my choir in some local uh, Eisteddfords, and we came fifth out of 16. And I'd had no musical conducting training at that stage, so we were very pleased, all of us. We were all just youngsters getting together. And again, things snowballed. And then I went on to university, where I had put down to do singing and piano, but I, in fact I changed from piano to organ and uh, applied on two occasions to study with Floor Peters in Belgium. And twice, once in 1980 and once in 1984, on both occasions I was accepted for a scholarship to study in Belgium with can, what can only be described as a great master. Well, Floor Peters, that's the, the name that should be mentioned uh, again and again in the world, organ world because Flor Peters uh, is responsible probably for many good things in, 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 in Holland mm. as a composer too, not only organist, right? And his music is very well known and very well written. It's, it's a little bit uh, um, on the conservative side, I would say, right? Mm. But that's good, right? Because uh, people can relate to it. Um, uh, and it sounds quite... Uh, quite uh, understandable because it, it's uh, people who, who love baroque music right uh, have uh, have a, a good grasp of Flor Peters music because he is just a few steps ahead right uh, from the baroque uh, writing uh, uh, language basically uh, he has some some uh, techniques and tricks of his own uh, obviously and i remember yesterday charles how you played uh, this beautiful aria by by flor peters and i before you played it i i i, I was thinking oh i know this piece because yeah. everybody plays it aria but either because it wasn't familiar to me it was maybe another aria or maybe i heard it maybe 20 years ago it sounded so fresh yesterday. Yeah. So tell us a little bit with, uh, about your experience with the great master, Flor Peters. He, he was very demanding, but in a very nice way. Mm -hmm. uh, to tell you a couple of stories, one was um, a very, very fine organist from Germany um, was playing a piece by Peter Eben, the Monte Perpetua. And um, it was a time when I think, with Flor Peters coming towards the last six or seven years of his life, I think his hearing was changing. And uh, Flor Peters had set, helped set up the stops for the piece to be played. Um, and 
uh, Martin Sanders actually started playing it, and very beautifully. But Flor Paytas was crossed because Martin put in some stops, uh, some of the brighter stops on the organ, and Flor Paytas was pacing around the organ loft, looking at us with his hands, uh, clutch, clutching his hands behind his back, listening to the music, and his face gradually changed colour. And his expression from one of what beautiful music to one of annoyance crept over his face, and we felt there was going to be a volcanic eruption. And sure enough, Flor Peters went over to Martin Saunders and leaned over him, and he said, and he shouted from the organ loft, I said piston number two! And he pressed piston number two, and out came these other bright stops again, and we then thought, we better not disobey the professor again. Right. So we had a chuckle over that. That was very funny. Fantastic. Uh, uh, Flor Peters listening to the great music by another great master, right? Peter Eben, who is no longer with us, sadly. Um, but he left, Peter Eben left so many beautiful pieces, right? Like Moto Stinato yes, from the yes. Sunday music, uh, from the great cycle, but also other uh, uh, cycles like Laudes and uh, for biblical dances and uh, 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 the story of Job, right? Um, and um, uh, the other uh, biblical stories he likes. But basically, he was the great improviser, uh, improvising mm. storytelling events from the biblical, which later got uh, written down by him uh, and as uh, completed pieces. Uh, so I, I can imagine uh, Flor Peters having a very, very, um, I mean, uh, being quite... Uh, uh, as you say, cross with the student who took liberties with with yes. uh, registration, and uh, I imagine great master like Flor Peters could have mm. strong opinions about how this particular piece should be performed and mm. registered. Mm. Right. Mm. He also, we, we were very fortunate enough to go back to Flor Peters' home, mm -hmm. and there was the console, the old console from Saint Clotilde, which Cesar Franck used to play. And, of course, one burning question we had was, Professor, how did you get this into your house? I will tell you, he said. And it's a lovely story. Um, it was during the Second World War, apparently the console, original console, which Cesar Franck used to sit at and play, was redundant in the organ loft. And um, Flor Peters wanted the console, but the French apparently were not being very cooperative and letting him just take it. And during the argy-bargy, so to speak, and the crossfire, Flor Paces decided to take the law into his own hands. And he uh, persuaded some American soldiers late at night to smuggle the console out of the organ loft, across the border and into his home in Belgium. So that's what he did. And there is the console, uh, I don't know where it is now, but to add to that, of course, you have this wonderful console that was originally the one that César Franck always sat at. Right. And, and as an organist and a musician, I'm sure many of your uh, people who are listening will know the famous César Franck pose, sitting at the organ, left hand on the, <laughs> left hand on the manuals, and the right hand pulling out pulling, a stop. Right, right. Now, of course, we all wanted to mimic that as we came to Flor Peters' home. Mm -hmm. So there we were, we were all sitting 
on the organ, having out the uh, César front pose on, on the original organ. And there was a stop on the organ, we didn't know what it meant. And we said, Professor, this stop on the organ, we, we, we haven't met before. And uh, the professor, ah, he said, that is an interesting stop. He said, that stop works a little bell in the back of the organ for the little boy to work the bellows to make the organ go. <laughs> That's a great uh, sense of humor, right? Oh, yeah, he, 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 he had a lot of sense of humor. Fantastic. He's a great guy. So, uh, so uh, uh, what happened later uh, when you when you finished your experience with Lord Peters, did you, did you go to other places to study or did you continue your own well, career? Well, what was very wonderful about coming on the uh, Lord Peters courses was that there were all these students from other countries, one or two from other countries who had been selected, mm -hmm. and we all helped each other. And uh, from then on, in fact, just before then, my first occasion, I, d I made my first visit to the States, and I, I, made, um, I gave five recitals. I gave one in a place called Lynchburg in Virginia, mm -hmm. and then I flew over. Well, actually, I didn't fly. I took a, um, I took a, um, a bus, one of those Greyhound buses. Uh, it was a three-day trip, and went to Seattle and stayed with the uh, daughter of Lester Groom, who you might have heard of, who was then, he's a little sad to say he's died now, but he was organist of First Presbyterian Church in Seattle. And I had four recitals arranged for me uh, across ten days. So I had to try and keep a lot of new repertoire going. Um, and one particular recital that I remember very well for all sorts of reasons. Um, I gave a recital at St. Mark's Cathedral in Seattle. Very, very fine instrument. Uh, Flentrop, and um, I practiced throughout the day, and it came to the evening, and there was a Compline service, and after the Compline service, I was to go directly into the organ recital. There were about 400 people there that evening, that Sunday evening. Now, I was ready to go up into the organ loft, but clearly there was no verger around to open the door to let me in, so everyone was waiting. Eventually, I was ten minutes late in being allowed into the organ loft because they were trying to find a key. So, of course, I rushed up the stairs, sat on the organ stool, and very quickly, and perhaps wrongly, looking back on it, uh, got, pulled out all the stops I needed for the first piece and played it through. Um, now, of course, I had started the piece in a... I don't use the agitated state, but obviously in a, in a, in a slightly rushed manner. And uh, we recorded the recital, and we went out afterwards for a pizza with Lester Groom. Now, Lester Groom was there, and I started the recital with a piece of his called Gothic Fanfare, mm -hmm. uh, a lovely piece. And I played this Gothic Fanfare, and, and he was, of course, sitting in the audience with his daughter. Um, anyway, while we listened back, having our pizza, we had a little recording machine, and I was horrified at the way I played it because I had doubled the speed of the piece because I had started in a rush and the piece was double speed and there was Lester Groom listening to his piece played double speed at the composer and I, I, I couldn't eat my pizza I had to sit and I, I couldn't move a muscle and he said 
he said, you know, it's very different twice the speed, isn't it? You know? And he was quite all right about it. But that was one of those embarrassing moments. Of course, uh, was it before the age of Internet? Yes. Before. Now, uh, I can add this, uh, one comment to, to your... Now you can go to YouTube to, to, uh, to listen to any recording, to any video, right? And you can push, push, uh, put the settings to reduce the speed by uh -huh. half or increase the speed by half. And the, the level, the, the sound pitch level will not change. It that's will sound like to almost, to if that. you don't have time, you can speed it up. If you have plenty of time and uh, want to take dictation, for example, very slowly, somebody talking, right, lecture, yeah. you can slow it down. It will, of course, that person will sound like drunk because yes. blah, 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 <laughs> very slowly. But, but still, as you say, you can, you can play and listen faster and slower. But you did it before, before the age of technology. That's right, you that's did right. it very very difficult thing yourself fantastic and uh, uh, I remember you just mentioned uh, Flor Peters and his uh, students in a group setting right? that's right uh, doesn't remind you of, of a familiar experience uh, people have while studying with other masters like Marcel Dupré mm. and uh, the blind German organist Helmut Walcha uh, those were three names probably Jean from the same Jean Langlais is another one. Jean Langlais, of course, he was very, very I met him. great master. You met him, uh, yes, right? Yes, I met Jean Langlais. So this organ studio by Flor Peters, was, um, do you still keep in touch with some of them um, today? Very occasionally, but it, it, not for a few years. Um, mm -hmm. But I suppose as an organist, you occasionally uh, have the unexpected. On, and on my tours, I have had some unexpected things happen. Needless to say, on one occasion, I was uh, to give a recital in Warsaw, and I had done all the necessary preparations, the letters had gone back and forth, and I was nicely prepared for my recital in Warsaw, and they took me down to the church at 2.30, and uh, the last comment from the lady who left me was, uh, it won't be long, you know, sort of thing. I thought, no, no, I've got, I've got a few hours to practice, I thought to myself. So there was I practicing on this organ. Uh, about 20 minutes after I'd started practicing, a young gentleman came in with some organ music. Oh, I said, hello, did you want to come and practice? Oh, no, he said, I have come for your organ master class. I said, really? <laughs> I said, this is interesting. And, and within 10 minutes, six students had appeared for me to give them an organ lesson as a master class and the general public came up upstairs and the, it, you could have seat a hundred in the in the uh, around the organ mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i was thrown into having to give a, a master class for six students and the audience watching oh, yes and i had no preparation i hadn't really been officially told and somehow nothing had been communicated to mm -hmm. me so off the cuff Without any practice at all, any preparation, I had to give a masterclass to six students, and I, and that lasted a couple of hours at least. Unfortunately, because I had enough knowledge and musicianship, I carried it through. But I shall never forget that. How did you <laughs> feel about it afterwards? I was exhausted. I wanted a drink. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do I when wanted, you're exhausted. I, wa I, wa I wanted a drink. 
but that was not the only occasion when something was unexpected. Uh -huh. um, I was in Sweden. I had given a, a recital at Stockholm Cathedral, mm -hmm. and I was also giving a recital in um, a sort of theological college where they had about 150 students, <clears throat> and uh, I had prepared for that. And I was having lunch uh, with a number of people in the big refectory with all the students around me, and the gentleman said to me, he said, uh, he said we're so looking forward to your choral masterclass. Choral. Choral masterclass. Right. I said, sorry. He said, well, you're, don't forget, you've agreed to give a choral masterclass. And I thought, and I thought well, so I, I said, please let me think a moment. So I, I asked him a question. I said, have you got any English uh, anthems in your library? He said, yes. I said, have you got sort of 50, because there are 150, so I said, have you got 50 sets of a number of Stanford anthems and Atwood and things? And they had enough sets of English music, and I said, okay, I'll do it. I said, but I wasn't prepared for this. So I busked a choral master class of English choral music with these students. Oh, How did you go? It went all right as well. They were all very happy. I got a big hand clap at the end. So, but it was exhausting to you, right? Yeah, it's more exhausting and nerve-wracking than doing it. And if I prepared, I would have been happy, but, but it's just the unexpected that we always, ha happens to all of us, I think. Yeah. Charles, you just mentioned the, the aspect of unexpectedness, right? Which, which happens so, so often, right? During church services, right? Or recitals sometimes, some things go wrong. Yes. Pistons number two, right? Yes. You got pushed, and uh, and what do you do? Uh, but of course, when you were asked to do to lead a choral masterclass, um, you had another option, right? You have and had an option to decline. Yes. Right, but you didn't. No, I didn't. You didn't. And uh, were you happy that you didn't actually? I was, ple I was pleased I had done it, uh -huh. um, and it's a, a memory to always keep looking back on. Uh, but I was pleased I had done it. You see, uh, that happens in my experience too. Sometimes um, I remember I remember one organ demonstration I I, I supposed to supposed to give in uh, uh, in the famous uh, church here in town in Vilnius, uh, Rococo Church, uh, Holy Ghost Church, which houses. Adam Gottlob Kasparini organ, the famous 18th century organ from 1776, which is, is still under uh, restoration today. Uh, but uh, at that moment, four, four stops were playing, playable, basically, and I, I was asked to, to perform on those uh, four stops and uh, tell people, uh, organ music lovers, uh, something about that instrument and about the stops. And uh, I was like, like a young doctor, you know, after, just after my studies uh, in America. We went back to Lithuania and uh, asked the organ builder who was taking care of the tuning. He said, uh, will the organ will be in tune or, or uh, uh, ciphers will, uh, will be fixed, right? Uh, no, no mechanical failures. And he said, no, no, everything is fixed and all right. And I started playing and all of a sudden one, two, three notes were sticking, right? And I was uh, so disappointed, frustrated, and um, I would say angry at that organ builder, right? Uh, uh, 
and and I showed it in my, on my face a little bit, right? It was so unprofessional, basically. Uh, people were very kind and uh, yes. sort of didn't notice that. But later, when I I still played and uh, put, uh, later relaxed and uh, was in good mood, so to say. But later, years after that, I thought what I should have done was to improvise. Improvise, as you say. Uh, yes, something happens. Mm. And that's not my fault. And it even perhaps it's not uh, that organ builder's fault. It, it just happens with mechanical, old mechanical organs, right? And what do you do? You either uh, let people down who, are, who came to listen to you, to teach, right? Or, or to, to, to inspire themselves, them. Or you can say, no, I'm too professional to, you know, and uh, I will come back when this is fixed, right? Uh, or I will never come back at all, <laughs> <laughs> right? I will go to some place where there's half uh, uh, heated, heated organ bench yeah. and, uh, and uh, 2,000 organ <clears throat> pistons, right, without any failures. So that's another option, right? But I, I'm glad you, you, you went to, to no, option number one no, and said yeah. yes. Yeah. You said yes. And, I mean, for example, once I was also playing uh, for giving a recital, uh, in Auckland Town Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, now this was before the organ was restored. Now the organ at Auckland Town Hall had about a hundred stops and I hadn't been told that it was in a bad condition. So I had prepared my program, went along to practice in the morning and when you pressed a piston, um, okay the stops would come out but they wouldn't go back in they stuck (laughs) and I I would say two thirds of the the stops were unpredictable Uh they stuck or went in or if you pressed it two or three times they'd Uh go in and so I started trying to alter the stops on the pistons so certain stops wouldn't come out and in the end it was a nightmare I rewrote all all the stops on the pistons the gentleman who I was staying with came down and altered all, all the stops on the pistons and then I had to give this recital and it was I mean it it was not as good as I'd wanted it was okay I busted it and I got away with it but I wasn't happy with it because there were about 250 people there and I thought I know I could do a better job if the organ had done what it was supposed to Mm -hmm. but you you know put the tuba in no, no trombone out you pull up the trombone wasn't coming out you know or, well, and I was blame. constantly having to shout instructions mm-hmm. and not concentrate on the music playing it you know it was bad it's it's, it's organist night, nightmare to have those things happen yeah. probably to be playing and for example to see in front of you mixed up pages right uh, instead of page number two, you have page yeah. number 14. Yeah. And after that, maybe seven. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, that happened on this uh, organ, too, uh, a few months ago, when Japanese organ was playing. She, she, was, she, of course, could play from memory everything. So she smiled. And uh, I was one of her assistants. And another lady, uh, my colleague, uh, assisted on the other side. And luckily, we both knew the piece. It was Dorian Toccata oh. And uh, luckily, uh, that another my colleague luckily uh, t- turned everything all right and, uh, and made in order. But that uh, organist, Hiroko Inoue, a, a Japanese organist was her name, 
played everything like like nothing happened. Mm. That's the the spirit you see. You still continue going. So That's I'm fine. glad you did too. That's fine. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, Charles. Um, so so magnificent stories you are telling us. And um, uh, did you uh, did you have some uh, some fun? while unexpected things happen to you in your life? Uh, not only frustrations and uh, nightmares, but well, fun feeling. Uh, yeah, I, I particularly remember um, in my youth, uh -huh. I, I, may have mentioned, I mentioned earlier, I, I was brought up on a three-manual Harrison and Harrison organ. Now, one day I was there playing, and a chap called Dennis Thurlow came along, who's an organ voicer. And, I, and uh, he was playing around with the, voicing some of the pipes. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, one of my ambitions, I said to Mr. Thurlow, was I'd like to play the organ at the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, he said, contact Kenneth James, who's at the London division of Harrison and Harrison. So I, at the age of 16, 15, wrote this letter to Kenneth James saying, could I come and play the organ at the Royal Albert Hall? Well, nothing happened, mm -hmm. and nothing happened at all. Anyway, about ten years later, I was going past the Royal Albert Hall. It was a sunny day, hot summer's day, and all the doors of the Albert Hall were open, and I could hear the organ being tuned for a promenade concert. Mm -hmm. And I'd just been to the Royal College of Organists. I'd been practicing, and I had my organ shoes and my music. And so I thought, hmm... So I walked in this, uh, a side entrance of the Royal Albert Hall and I was stopped by security. Sorry, sir, you're not allowed in. So I said, I said, it's all right. I said, Mr. James is expecting me. Oh, that's all right, he said. So I went up to the console at the Royal Albert Hall and I said, are you Kenneth James? I said, Dennis Thurlow told me to contact you to play. To, oh, he said, that's fine, he said. I'll tell you what, he said, we're just having a coffee break. Have half an hour. Uh -huh. So that was my very, very first time I played the organ at the Royal Albert Hall. Ten years ago from that... Uh, that to that experience. Mm -hmm. But I have played it officially in concerts nine times since. But uh, the first time has that little bit of uh, mischievous about it, I suppose. Right, right. Fantastic. Uh, how many manuals? Does it's does four. four. It's got four. It's, it's, uh, it was restored about... I'm not sure exactly how many it was stored, about four, five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. They spent a lot of money on it. And uh, because it had three blowers. And unfortunately, there was not enough wind for the... It had several 32 foots, both in flue and reeds. And if you pulled them out, the, the, all the sound would go. The, the, uh, the bellows would collapse. <gasps> bellows, right. Yeah. Uh, so is the wind system here there uh, sufficiently powerful? It's, an, it's now, it's, not been, it's been sorted now. So, oh, yeah, okay. so. On this organ here in, in St. John's Church, you might have noticed yesterday while you practiced the fast and loud piece, Jiguto uh, Kata, that when you play large chords here and pull out all the or many of the stops, right? Many of the 16 foot stops, then you have some some of the insufficient uh, uh, wind supply yeah. here. Yeah. So what I do sometimes is, uh, of course, I try to omit some unnecessary doublings, you see, which only eat up uh, wind, wind, but not not do much for the sound and grandeur. 
um, like uh, like some of the pedal stops and because there are uh, some bellows inside but but um, some of the bellows are very small two uh, bellows are very very small and two of them are very very large and the large bellows uh, serve the pedal division and right uh, and uh, the small bellows serve everything else so that's a little bit of the confusion for the wind system here. So what I do is sometimes I play, um, sometimes I play, um, release the chords uh, not together, uh, so that uh, I would uh, don't have this um, specific uh, sound when you release chords yeah. and uh, the bellows jump up and down. Percussion, we call it percussion. Percussion, effect. yeah. Percussion effect. So yeah, um, I guess organ builders uh, didn't uh, didn't investigate the the physical uh, um, aspects of the sound enough, and and uh, maybe in the future when we will uh, make uh, major repairs, maybe they will make things right with the winding too. I, I remember too on one of my trips to New Zealand. Uh -huh. Um, it's funny if I was returning back from having given six recitals across New Zealand and I was leaving Auckland and I was on a, a 747 plane and uh, it was full and of course 747 you got the bubble, right. first class bubble and I sat next to this lady and her daughter as the plane took off you start to make conversation and say hello lovely day etc what are you doing? She said, she said, I'm accompanying my husband. So I looked and I couldn't see her husband. Oh, no, she said, he's in first class. He's going to London on business. Oh, so I jokingly said, oh, wouldn't mind swapping places. Anyway, as the plane took off, within five to ten minutes, this lady suddenly became ill. So much so, one of the stewardesses had to bring oxygen down on a, on, on, in a bottle to her and this stewardess said to me he said, she said would you mind sir swapping places with this lady's husband who's in first class uh, it's a true story and I said yeah okay I don't mind at all and you know, I inquired after his health um, her health when I, when I got to London I was in the first class bubble all the way to London and I had a lot of refreshment, one might say. <laughs> and was the lady all right afterwards? Yes, she was. Mm. But I, it's just very funny how that little coincidence happened. Right. Um, but I, I, I did enjoy the refreshment available in first class. It, it was, uh, it didn't stop. <laughs> I had a very good trip. Uh, do you remember any? any very, very fine but very small instruments, not with four manuals, but maybe one manual and a few stops you enjoy playing in your life? I do. Um, there, w once, many years ago, I took a group of school children to cycle around Holland. Um, and we were staying in a youth hostel and next to, I can't remember the name of the place, but next to this youth hostel was a church. So I said to the, the, there's a lady leader with us too, there are only 12 who are cycling. So I said, look, are you okay to look after the youngsters while I'm just literally next door? Mm -hmm. She said, no problem. So I went next door and I sat on this organ and each stop was a gem. Mm -hmm. And I just played and played and played. And I hadn't got a watch on me or phone. And apparently I'd, I'd been playing for two hours and she came to get me. She said, 
Oh, I said, I'm really sorry. I said, but this organ is so beautiful. Every stop, you could, you could, you could play all the notes, and oh. You know what I can't understand often when organists say, "Oh, this organ is so so small. You can't play solo pieces, right? Only with uh, with singers, with instruments. Uh, only accompaniment, uh, chamber music, right?" For solo recitals, forget it. People will be bored if you play it for an hour. But as you say, you can play for yes. hours without end on such a lovely stops, right? You don't need, you don't need to change stop because uh, the acoustics will do uh, other things with it, beautiful. And especially if the stop, again, is very uh, fine quality and it speaks like a person, right? Every pipe is like another human being, right? So I'm glad you had this experience too, when you forget mm. passing of time and sit on the organ bench and uh, just play for hours, right? I had this experience too, fantastic. Um, and, and on a, another occasion, I was with a, uh, with a noboist actually, Hugh, Hugh Somerville, uh, who actually became a vet. But uh, this guy was about 21, and we, we went round Denmark, we gave six concerts in organ and oboe, and it was very strange actually, we played in this little tiny church with a small organ, talking about small organs, <coughs> but next door to this church was a restaurant, and I noticed through the window of this restaurant was a Yamaha piano, mm -hmm. and I said to Hugh, I said, look, why don't we see if we can play for our supper? Uh, and which you know musicians often do. They'll any for if they have a good meal for playing, they'll often do that. And um, so I, we went and we chatted and said, yeah, if you would like to play for my 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 guests, he said I'll give you dinner. So we played. We gave a little hour's concert for his his guests, and afterwards we had the most fantastic meal. Really, really lovely. I mean, it was an exceptionally fine meal with different wines for each meal and, and course and so on. And I said to Hugh, I said, this is no ordinary restaurant. Uh, I said, there's something, something unusual about this place. And I made inquiries. I wrote down the name of the restaurant and I made inquiries later on further down the line when we were doing further into Denmark. And they said, they said, where have you played? I can't remember its name now. It's something in. He said, you played there? I said, yes. He said, do you know, he said, the waiting list to go there for a meal is over two years. Two years, yeah. And they're only open three months in every year. And the chef of that restaurant is an international judge. He goes all around the world judging food in every country. And you have had a meal at that restaurant. I said, yes. He said, well done on you. He said, it's, you can't, just can't get there. <sighs> and I did it us. It's, it's like uh, in Oregon. It's amazing experience it's like uh, going to another country right uh, and going to a lovely church and uh, you don't, don't know anything about the church oh and you you heard organ music you hear organ music play and you listen to that uh, in the pews for maybe half an hour right uh, the organist maybe was just practicing and you were trans transformed That's transported right. to another world uh, through right. these 30 minutes right and afterwards, you were so compelled maybe to clap and thank the organist. Maybe you go up to the balcony. It turns out that this, this person 
is is a, is an international master, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Working in, in this lovely right. small church could be, yeah. could could happen, right? Yeah. Or even you don't know that person, but uh, but uh, the reputation of, of his might That's be right. very very great. Yeah. So fantastic. Um, it's great that you had this uh, lovely experience in Denmark. Right? Oh, gorgeous! The beautiful instruments, and I played the organ at. Um, oh, the organ is a. I think it's a big four manual, but it's got not only mechanical action but assisted mechanical action, so it's part pneumatic as well. Mm. Harderslave. I don't know if you know Harderslave Cathedral. Mm. Harderslave Cathedral has got this wonderful four manual instrument that's got, there's a word for it, which has got assisted, assisted uh, tracker. So it's pneumatic, so the pneumatic side assists the tracker. And it's the best of both worlds. And wow, what an instrument. Fantastic. Um, that, that was a lovely, lovely instrument. Mm -hmm. And there was um, another, another part was an, an organ in a place called Zonderborg, which was part of a hospital chapel. And it, this was a small organ. But it, it was so beautiful. The, it was it was hard tiles and and uh, the, the the walls are very hard. And but the acoustics just made it so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. oh, fantastic, Charles. Uh, tell me, um, what are you working on right now? What music do you play uh, uh, in addition to Bach and Jigou? Okay, I, li I like French music. I like mm -hmm. César France music, um, and I like to play music. If, if I give a concert uh, or a recital, I like to give a, a recital where I know the people hopefully will come back again. Mm -hmm. So I like to tell stories. I like to, I always give a recital where I can tell stories. Oh, you, you interact with the audience? Yes. That's a very powerful way to leave uh, impact on the people, uh, to give uh, them something to think about while yeah. the music was being played. Uh, of course, program notes might be another tool when, yeah. when you write down things, but it's never the same no. as storytelling. When I, you I love storytelling, mm -hmm. and I, I go usually armed with some photographs, uh, memorabilia of some concerts, and tell stories around the music that I play, or say, this has happened. Um, and there is, a, there is a wonderful piece, I don't know if you know it, called Elegy by Thorben Ball. Have you heard of it? Uh, now I, hear, I have. Okay. <laughs> Great. But it's a very, very beautiful piece. And it was written about 50 years ago. Um, I'll have to try and give you a, a way of getting hold of it. Um, but this piece is so beautiful and so English. It is unmistakably English mm -hmm. because it needs the, dia the diapason sound and so on. And I have played it a lot in America. But it has a lovely story attached in that floor, sorry, not floor pages, um, uh, Thorben Ball was giving a live radio broadcast on the BBC. And I say this was about 50 years ago. And he was giving this live radio broadcast and he had about three minutes left to the end of the broadcast. And it was those days where they couldn't just fill in. They said, you must keep playing, you must keep playing. So Thorben said, I will improvise. And he improvised the most beautiful, beautiful piece, mm -hmm. which was everybody wrote and said, "What is it? What is it? We want it. We want it." And it was elegy, and so it is the most beautiful piece of music. Fantastic. Um, and and did he later wrote down? Yeah, it's all published. All it's published. All published. Transcribed. It's all published. 
great. Uh, uh, when you when you tell stories for your audience, do you have some some uh, challenges to to deal with in that situation, or is it very relaxed? It depends. It depends if if, if for example, I, for example, when I've been in Germany or Italy, uh, I have given recitals in Italy. I have always tried to get translations, and I, because mm -hmm. of having studied some Italian and German, I'll always try and tell the story and, and get some help. But I'll always try and tell a story in their language. In Italian. Yes. That's a very uh, powerful way to imagine going to I Japan, to I Japan, and uh, speaking in Japanese. Well, I've never done that. I've never done Japan. But, but that, will be, that will be a challenge. Uh, you know, people usually love, uh, love uh, if you speak just a little bit of their language. That's right. Uh, yeah. Just a few phrases. That's right. That's right. And uh, sometimes Japanese uh, organists come here, and uh, I know just a few, just enough of the phrases to make them happy. But that's that's enough, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's very powerful. Uh, sometimes. Uh, I suggest to the to the greeters here in the church who greet the tourists to greet the, the tourists in their language, for yeah. example. That would make their day, right? Fantastic. And what is inspiring to you now, Charles, that you are thinking ahead of the future and thinking about your next plans, next moves in organ world? What is inspiring to you? I think I, I, I've had a little bit of time off playing. Um, I did go and play in Australia last August. Mm -hmm. uh, I gave a recital at Fremantle um, on, a, on a very, very big instrument, uh, one of the biggest in Australia. But I, as I'm now pulling out of doing full-time teaching in schools, um, I perhaps will get back to time to do some, you know, like any career, we have swings and roundabouts, right. certain areas might be more, might be playing the piano more, playing the organ more, accompanying or taking mm -hmm. choirs. I would like to try and get back into doing more organ playing. Mm -hmm. So, and then I should I should probably start doing some more recital work again. I'd like to do some more tours. Um, and if you've got things to work for, that motivates me. I will work very hard for a, a tour. Right, because uh, when you organize the tour and you know that the uh, deadline is looming, and uh, you 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 know that there are people. Who are counting on you, right? Yes. You yes. know that you have to show up every morning or every night to, to practice, right? That is a powerful motivator uh, for uh, for any organist, I guess. So I I really recommend, and people probably will get out of our discussion here, that they should set up deadlines, right, yes, of yeah. their own, right? That's set right. up a concert in their church. Yeah. It makes you. It does, right. There's no doubt about it. It makes you do something and. I, li I like to play another instrument. I mm -hmm. mean, I've played quite a bit with, with uh, oboists, but I've also played with flautists and trumpeters too. Organ and trumpet is a good one. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, because it reminds of, of the reed stops and it blends together. If you, don't, right. if, if you don't use the trumpet on the organ, it can be a solo. But if you do use the trumpet on the organ, it could be like a duet. That's right, With, yes. with the solo instrument, fantastic. Any closing thoughts, uh, Charles? I know uh, we are short of time, and uh, you have been so generous with uh, with your ideas, insights. Can you? What would you wish our listeners? Uh, let me put it this way: What would you wish you knew uh, when you were little that nobody told you, and you only found out tens of years, decades ago, uh, later? Can you give us that? 
wish or, or inspiration? I think it's, it's to, to explore the many different organs mm -hmm. and, and to understand them because everything is enrichment to the life, to one's life, to actually experience all the different organs and they are so, so different. I've been fortunate to travel, or I've been around the world ten times now, and I've been fortunate enough to play organs in many countries and it's enrichment and it, and it gives you, um, it does enrich you to say, well, I want to try that sort of music where it should be played, mm -hmm. like French music on French instruments, German on German and so on, because it, it gives you that motivation to want to learn that music, to play it on that instrument. Yes, and to stay curious probably about new steps, new, new yes. uh, um, experiences, right? Every organ is unique, right? Every, no Every question, the, all acoustics are different in the churches, all the stops are different, all the organs are different, they're voiced differently, and it's even more diverse than pianos. I mean, I've played a lot of fine grand pianos, but they're all different, but every organ is more diversely different. Definitely, definitely. So thank you so much, Charles, for your wonderful time. And for conclusion, can you give us a, a link where people can connect with you online, maybe get in touch with you and your work, maybe uh, get to know more about you? Um, if people wish to email me, mm -hmm. they can. My email address is c... H-A-S, Chaz, but please call me Charles, not Chaz. Chaz.spanner, S-P-A-N-N-E-R, at gmail.com. I will make sure I'll put that into the description okay. of the podcast. Okay. All lowercase, all lowercase. Lowercase, okay. Yeah. Wonderful. You have a wonderful uh, creative year ahead of you. Stay yes. in good health. Thank you. And, and yourself too. Thank you so much. And continue to be curious and explore new organs. Well, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. And thank you for letting me play the organ here at It's St. a John's. pleasure. Let's keep in touch. It's been a delight. Thank you. Thank you. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.